Hello Heartland, welcome to week four of our Big Deal Meal series. Welcome back to our online platform. And before we get going uh, with our Big Deal Meal today, I just uh, kind of felt something uh, prompted in my spirit that I wanted to say uh, before we get going. I know it's very disappointing uh, to be back online, especially for our team. We loved having people in the auditorium, being able to see, uh, even at a safe distance, being able to see all of you uh, and experience church together. So I know it's a big disappointment for us as well as for you. But uh, I do want to say this. This is not a step back when it comes to the power of Jesus Christ. I fully believe that the message of the gospel, that God's word, the power of scripture, the presence of the Holy Spirit is not in any way lessened because now you have to watch through a screen on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet. It's definitely so much better, of course, when we can meet in person, when we can have community, when we can have fellowship. But as we take steps to protect ourselves, to love our neighbors, let's not let our disappointment or frustration about this uh, having to move back to online get in the way of what God has and will continue to do. His presence, his power, his word is living, it's active, it is not inhibited in any way by technology. If anything, I feel like a, a heart of gratitude for the fact that we still can experience church. We still can experience Heartland. I mean, throughout history, uh, there has been a viral pandemic at least once a generation. We have been lucky that in the last hundred years, we haven't had to experience it, uh, and we're experiencing it now. But for us, we are, are blessed with the technological capabilities to still be able to gather together and still hear God's word and still be the church. So all that to say, I know, again, I know it's disappointing. It's frustrating to have met for six weeks, which was so great, and now we're back to online. But for whatever it's worth, God is not suddenly like, oh no, how is my spirit going to transform and speak and move? No, no, he is not inhibited by anything. He is still equally present, equally powerful, equally active and living through his word. So as we begin now and move forward for who knows how long, uh, still meeting online, I myself am grateful that we continue to continue to do so, and I encourage you to embrace the fact that God still can transform, still will transform, still will speak. His word is still just as powerful and active as it would be if we were in person. So all that to say, let's continue with our big deal meal. Uh, I want to take a moment right now and just uh, mention later on in the in the message here, we're going to experience communion together. Uh, so if uh, wherever you're at, uh, whether you're at home, I want to give you a moment just to go find some communion elements. So if you want to find uh, any kind of bread or juice or uh, whatever the case may be, it doesn't have to be unleavened or without yeast, whatever you have uh, at your disposable is great uh, because we're going to experience communion uh, a little bit later. So uh, today's big deal meal is, is one of the biggest, one of the most well-known meals in all of scripture. We're going to be reading from Luke 22. Uh, hopefully y'all have been keeping up with your Luke reading plan from our study guide. If not, feel free to download the PDF. Uh, but we are going to be experiencing reading through what's known as the Last Supper. Uh, so here's the account. This is from Luke 22, beginning in verse 13. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples into Jerusalem to prepare uh, the meal, prepare a place where they were going to have uh, experienced this last supper together. Verse 13 starts this way. Uh, it says, They went off to the city and found everything, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now, there's more to uh, this account in Luke 22 of the Last Supper, but this is just kind of the section I want to focus on for today. Now, oftentimes when we as Christians think of the Last Supper, uh, we might think this was a meal that Jesus invented in order to establish communion, uh, to have like this final, you know, the Last Supper. It's like, oh, he created this really meaningful moment that Jesus was having with his disciples because it was his Last Supper before he went to the cross. And as he said, the last time he would experience this before uh, he returns in the kingdom of God is fulfilled. However, while this truly was the Last Supper, this particular meal was something that Jesus, his disciples, and all the Jewish people had been eating annually for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It was the Last Supper for Jesus and his disciples, but it was not the first time they or any of the Jewish people was experiencing the meal of Passover, nor would it be the last time. The Last Supper, the Passover, was a yearly tradition that God's people had been experiencing for generations. It was a tradition that they were intimately familiar with and would have been experiencing every year since they were young. Since the day they were born, they would have sat with their families and experienced the Passover meal. So for the disciples, this particular meal was a very normal yearly tradition that they'd experienced for every single year of their life. The Passover meal is a celebration. It's a remembrance of when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, which we walked through a bit during our wilderness series. Uh, The first Passover meal is talked about in Exodus 12. So God's chosen people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, longer than our country has even been in existence. There was a great deal of pain and, and death and injustice and suffering for 400 plus years. And the Passover meal was for a yearly tradition where the Jewish people would remember God freeing them from that slavery. Now, the irony of them being in slavery for that long was this was the period when God grew their nation the most. This was the period, even though they were enslaved by Egypt, this was the season when God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and made the Jewish people a great nation. In part, that was why they were put in slavery, because they kept multiplying, growing, growing, growing. And the Pharaoh said, these people are becoming too numerous, too powerful. We need to enslave them so that they don't overtake us. So the irony of, of course, it was an awful 400 years, but it was also when God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Now the term Passover is in reference to the tenth and final plague that God demonstrated his power to the Egyptians when he struck down the death of every firstborn in Egypt. Although if a Jewish person uh, sacrificed an unblemished lamb, took the blood and spread it on their doorpost, then the angel of death would pass over their house and spare them and the firstborn would not be killed, hence the term Passover. And here is where we find that the Lord initiated the first ever Passover meal. We read uh, about this from uh, Exodus 12. I'm going to skip around a couple of verses, but here's the, the gist of what the meal is. It says, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. 
Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of their houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. God was really clear this was meant to be a permanent every year thing. Uh, when you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children were asked, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck down the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. So this was the first ever Passover meal. And as we read uh, again and again and again, God said, continue this celebration. Continue this every single year, remembering what I have done for you in freeing you from slavery. And just as God commanded, this is what the Jewish people have done. Every single year, experienced the Passover meal. The same traditions, uh, the same experiences, the same food. It's, in a way, it's very similar to our uh, Thanksgiving tradition, which is coming up uh, in just a few short days. Now, you know, Thanksgiving wasn't commanded by God with specific elements and specific foods. But when it comes to the uh, tradition of it, the yearly tradition of it, it's very, very similar. When we uh, experience Thanksgiving, obviously not this year. This is kind of an asterisk on the Thanksgiving with COVID and everything. But usually, uh, we can understand this. Typically, we would eat at the same house with the same host at the same time. Usually there's like a bunch of staple foods that need to be there in order for it to be a, a Thanksgiving tradition. I remember we always used to have Thanksgiving at my grandma's house for years and years growing up. And there was one year uh, <laughs> where she always made this particular corn, like, like cornbread and corn casserole. Delicious. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And there was one year she didn't make it and there were riots. There was an uproar and just flipping tables. and No, not really. But all of us were like, Baba, where is the corn casserole? And so she was like, I didn't know you liked it that much. And so we demanded it so every year. Actually, this is funny too. I grew up, <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, at my grandma's house, we always had the cranberry sauce that came in a can. You know what I'm saying? We just open it and like just comes out. And I loved it. It was delicious. I'd take a big, huge hunk of slice of that. And then I remember my first uh, Thanksgiving meal with Lindsay, my wife, and her family. Uh, they're like real good cooks. And so uh, we were getting all our food and they glopped on some like, uh, you know, reddish kind of jelly stuff. And I was like, what is that? And Lindsay's like, that's cranberry sauce. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Cranberry sauce is a cylinder shape with ridges in the side. I don't know what this stuff is, but she's like, no, this is 
actually made from scratch cranberry sauce. You were having it from a can, and I was like, do you have any in a can? Because that's what I would prefer. Anyway, so we all get it. We all have the food traditions, the food staples for Thanksgiving. Very similarly, this was just an annual tradition for the Jewish people. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through uh, all of the elements of, of the Passover meal. There's a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to stop and talk about each one. What I am going to do is mention each one, but I do want to stop and talk through some of the elements where there is a direct connection from God freeing his people from slavery to Jesus freeing mankind from our slavery to sin. Uh, I know, it seems crazy to think this uh, tradition established hundreds of years prior, uh, you know, totally separate about Egypt and the Jewish people going to the promised land through the wilderness. How could that be connected to the Son of God being born, sacrificed on a cross, redeeming mankind? There are a lot of connections. It's incredibly powerful. God knew exactly what he was doing. So we'll stop at a, a couple points and talk about these connection points between the original Passover and the Last Supper and what Jesus did for humanity. So first off, uh, just to show you a couple of elements, this is a uh, kind of a traditional Seder plate. And so I'll mention all of the food elements, but here's where all the food uh, elements will go. And so I'll talk about all that. So this is kind of what a typical Seder plate would look like. Uh, also, here's a picture of a Seder plate with all the food elements on it that you can see here. So this is uh, what would, would be at every single Passover meal uh, would be the, like a Seder plate with all of the different elements that I'll talk about right here. So the Seder uh, meal would start with uh, the lighting of the candles and a prayer would begin the Passover meal. Uh, then everybody would experience the first of four cups of wine. So there's going to be four cups of wine throughout the meal, each kind of symbolizing something different. This first one was the cup of sanctification. That is, God is holy. We also want to be holy as we approach him. And then immediately following this cup would be the hand-washing ceremony. And so they would pass around a basin with a towel and everybody would wash their hands. Here is the first connection point to Jesus because it was at this moment that Jesus not just washed his hands and passed the basin, Jesus got down and washed the feet of each of his disciples. Now, you know, if you're like me, I've pictured this many times before. I've heard this talked about many times before, but I kind of want to put ourselves in the position of the disciples. Again, they were in the mindset, hey, we've done this every year. They would have done this two, two previous years with Jesus himself. This was a very traditional thing. They would have had their expectations set as to what a Passover meant. Suddenly, their rabbi, their teacher, when it was time to wash their hands, takes off his robe, takes the position of the lowest servant in any household, takes the basin and the towel and begins washing the feet of his followers. This would have, is powerful for us, but for the disciples would have been straight up embarrassing, which is why Peter stood up, refused to let Jesus wash his feet, saying, no, 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 Lord, you should not wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And yet Jesus insisted, because although this was abnormal, although this was uncomfortable, borderline offensive to the, the disciples to have their rabbi wash their feet, Jesus did this new thing during this traditional Passover meal to illustrate the calling and importance of his followers to humbly submit and radically serve. That there is no one beneath us, no one that we are too high above to lower ourselves and serve, even in the most potentially embarrassing, uh, uh, degrading way possible. Jesus says, I will humble myself and serve you. God in human form, serving his disciples illustrates for us that there is no one we are not called to lower ourselves and serve. I suspect it might have been at this point 
in the Passover celebration early on that the disciples might have started to get this inkling, this might not be like all of the other Passover meals we've experienced our entire lives. There might be something different about this meal. Uh, next in the Passover meal is called the carpus, and this was bitter herbs uh, such as parsley dipped in salt water and then eaten, which, yes, of course, does not taste well. Uh, it was meant uh, to remind the, uh, the Jewish people of the tears that were shed during their time in slavery, so they'd eat the bitter herbs dipped in parsley. Next is the breaking of the middle matzah. Now, I'm not going to, I don't want to spend too much time in this, uh, but at every Passover uh, table, there is a uh, cloth that has three parts. This is probably not what it looked like. This is one I decorated when I was about 10 years old. Thank you. Really great artwork there. Uh, so was, uh, this is called the unity. And there were three different, you can see three different pieces of matzah, unleavened bread, uh, wrapped in the unity, one on top, one, and then there was one in the middle. And so they would take the middle matzah, out of the unity, break it in half, put uh, the, the other half back into the unity, and then they would take this half, which is called the afikomen, wrap it in a white cloth, and then one of the adults would hide it in the home uh, later for the children to find. We're going to come back to that, but at this point they would break the middle matzah, uh, wrap it in a white cloth called the afikomen, and hide it somewhere in the home. So we'll be right back to that. Okay, so there's the breaking of the middle matzah. Uh, next come the four questions. I mentioned this during the, uh, the final week of the wilderness teaching, the four questions that they would answer uh, as to, uh, about the Passover. Then uh, the leader of the household, usually the father would tell the story of Passover, of God freeing his people from Egypt. Uh, then there would be the second cup of wine, which was the cup of the plagues. And so they would, it's interesting tradition, they would dip their finger in the wine and dip a drop on their plate for every single one of the ten plagues to remind them of God displaying his power in each one of the plagues declaring his sovereignty over a specific Egyptian god. Next uh, is a portion of the Passover called the Dayanu. And Dayanu is a word simply meaning it would have been sufficient. And as, we, as I read through each of the things that God did to free his people, to love his people, they would, have, they would say Dayanu, that any, any one of the acts, the merciful acts, the acts of power that God did would have been sufficient, but God did above and beyond so much more than that. Uh, next would be the Passover lamb. And of course, this is a very obvious uh, third connection point uh, to Jesus himself. That Jesus many, many times referred to himself as a sacrificial lamb. Even John the Baptist, before Jesus even began his official ministry, the first time John the Baptist sees Jesus declares, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next in the Passover is uh, a roasted egg. Uh, this was actually originally meant to symbolize the temple. This had significance to the Jewish temple, but uh, eventually it was given a Christian twist. It might even be part of the reason we use Easter egg, you know, eggs to celebrate Easter. I don't, it's a weird connection, it would seem like objectively, but might be traced back here. I encourage you to go research the Chris Christian twist to the Seder roasted egg. It's very, very interesting. Uh, next, next would be the eating of the unleavened bread to, to remind themselves in Egypt they didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. Uh, then they would eat matzah again with bitter herbs. Uh, this typically would be a horseradish-like uh, bitter herb, again, to remind themselves of the bitterness, the hardship, the pain, the tears that they experienced in slavery. Uh, then they would eat something called the cheroseth, which was actually a sweet mixture. Uh, this would remind them of the brick and mortar that the slaves would make in Egypt as they were under the oppression of the Egyptians. And then at this point, 
uh, they would eat the Passover meal. So they would kind of pause in this order of different remembrance things and they would simply have a meal together, including eating of the Passover lamb. And then right after the supper was concluded, the children would go find the Afikoman. So here we're back to the second connection point of Jesus where the children would go find the Afikoman, which is this half of matzah wrapped in white cloth. And there's so much here, so we're going to spend just a little bit of time here. Uh, the word afikomen uh, is actually a Greek word. Uh, so Jewish tradition has that it means dessert, but some scholars actually believe the root word comes from the term I have come, which is a direct tie to Jesus who calls himself the bread of life. A few verses from, from John. Uh, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, again, uh, going back to this tradition. So this is a, a picture of typical matzah, unleavened bread. This is how it would have looked, how it's looked for hundreds and hundreds of years. A uh, very specific way that it's cooked because it doesn't have yeast in it. So a couple physical characteristics of this. First of all, uh, matzah is striped. So you can see that there's stripes the way that they cook it. And as scripture says in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So just again, previous uh, celebration tradition connecting to Jesus that this unleavened bread having stripes in it, the prophet Isaiah says, by his stripes, by the whipping, the scourging of Jesus, we are healed, our sins are forgiven. Also, you can see that there's holes in the matzah. The matzah is pierced. Zechariah, another prophetic uh, scripture says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, as Jesus was pierced twice in his hands and through his feet. And then also, as of course the matzah is without yeast, is unleavened. Now scripturally, uh, in, in uh, first century, the yeast was a uh, very strong symbolism for sin, uh, just used in symbolic ways for sin. As John talked about last week in Big Deal Meals, Jesus said the yeast of the Pharisees was the symbolic representation of the sin that was living inside of the Pharisees despite, despite their outward appearance. So the matzah without yeast, and Jesus himself was without sin. Scripture says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So, okay, a couple more things, but right off the bat, the physical, physical nature of matzah, already three different ways specifically representing the physicality of Jesus and his sacrifice. Not only that, but the middle matzah of the unity was broken just as Jesus the Messiah was broken. It was wrapped in a white cloth and hidden just as Jesus after his death was wrapped in white linen and put in a burial tomb. Just as the Afikoman was, as I said, hidden, Jesus also was hidden. Also, just as the Afikoman was brought out of hiding, so Jesus arose from the grave. So, so many connections to this ancient, ancient tradition to Jesus himself in the simple piece of bread. And again, I imagine the disciples at this moment making some of these connections, especially after his death and resurrection. Can you imagine the first Passover Seder meal they experienced after Jesus' resurrection? All of a sudden, all these light bulbs going off, saying, look how present God has been for thousands of years, connecting his freedom from us in Egypt to the freedom of mankind through our Savior. And so it was at this point in the meal that Jesus, holding the and holding the part of the bread that was broken, that was hidden, that was wrapped in white linen, that was found again, that he added something new to the Passover meal. Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took this bread 
That was a reminder of the first Passover when the Israelites didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise as God was going to free them on that first Passover night and attaches a new, such significant meaning to it, which was his sacrifice. So now no longer would this bread be a symbol of God freeing his people from slavery. It would also now be a symbol of God freeing all people from eternity in slavery to sin. And so right now, take your bread or whatever element you have and let us eat of this bread, which represents the broken body of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next is the cup of redemption. This was the third cup of wine that they would experience, and the cup of redemption stands for the blood of the Passover lamb. And it was this cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus took and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, taking this ancient tradition, no longer simply representing a Passover lamb that saved the Israelites from their firstborn being killed by the angel of death. Now it represented Jesus' blood, which provides eternal salvation from sin. And in the Seder meal, in the Passover meal, they would take their cup of wine and they would say this prayer. Say, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And so let us drink with thankful hearts, remembering the blood of the Messiah that was poured out for us. Uh, There's just two final elements to the Passover meal. The next one uh, was acknowledging Elijah the prophet. They would set an unseated place at the table with a full plate of food, representing Elijah the prophet who was prophesied to come back before the return of Christ. Uh, We who follow Jesus believe that this was John the Baptist, that he he came uh, representative as the prophet Elijah to preach, to pave the way for Jesus who was coming. And then finally, the final element of the Seder meal, of the Passover meal, of the Last Supper, was the final fourth cup of wine, which was the cup of praise. And it was at this point to conclude the Passover meal that they would sing a hymn. I don't know if you've read in the, in the story of the Last Supper that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. And I was always like, they bust out like David Crotter, David Tom, or Chris Tomlin. Uh, they sang a hymn directly from Psalm 136. And in between each, or, or, or as part of the hymn, uh, it repeats this phrase, his love endures forever. And so here's what we're going to do. No matter where you are, where you're watching, where you're listening from, I'm going to read uh, different lines from this psalm, and then we all together are going to repeat the phrase, his love endures forever again and again as a reminder God's love never diminishes, never goes away, never stops seeking, never, never stops chasing. So here we go from Psalm 136, the hymn that is conclusive to the Passover meal. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. To him who alone alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, His love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, 
His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. Who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. So they would lift their cups a fourth and final time, bless the name of the Lord altogether, saying, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And then everybody in a resounding uh, voice would say, next year in Jerusalem, which is where all the Israelites would travel to experience the Passover meal. So there it is. That's the, the again, I, I didn't talk about every single element. There's so much more there to it. It's such a powerful experience. But there is the Seder meal, the Last Supper, and a few of the uh, attachments that Jesus connected to it from this ancient tradition to his sacrifice and his death. Now, as a final thought, just in closing, I want to offer this. Uh, Communion is such a a powerful, important act of worship and remembrance, such an incredible experience that we have been gifted by Jesus. And one thing uh, that I have learned in my life is that communion, actually any act of worship to the Lord, but I'll talk about communion right now, does not have to be a specific experience. Um, We at Heartland, back when we were able to meet in person, uh, we experienced communion together about once a month. That was our goal, to experience together once a month. It was always so wonderful, so powerful. But Jesus does not say there needs to be specific parameters. You don't need to be in a specific place. You don't have to have specific items. doesn't need to be led by a pastor, anything like that. Jesus simply says, when you do this, remember. Do this in remembrance of him. And so for those of you, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can experience the remembrance, the uh, humbling practice, the act of worship of communion anytime. Anytime we feel the need to confess, anytime we feel the need to thank Jesus once again for his grace, for his forgiveness, for his sacrifice. We can experience communion in a room with hundreds of people or with a a few close friends. We can experience it with our family, our significant other, our growth group, or simply all by ourselves. Through this big deal meal, Jesus gave us this unbelievably powerful gift, a way to worship him by simply eating and drinking, a way to remember what he has done, and in doing so, take part in a tradition that has been going for thousands and thousands of years. That God's love truly does endure forever. It was true when he freed his people from slavery in Egypt and before, but freed them in powerful, mighty ways. It was true as Jesus sat with his disciples for his final time and infused these elements of power and God's presence for all eternity into this traditional meal as we experience eating the bread and drinking the cup and remembering and thanking. We are experiencing this ancient, ancient tradition that proves, that demonstrates for us God's eternal love enduring. So now as we close our time together, we also are going to sing a song of praise and worship. And so for these moments, whether you choose to sit and just let these words wash over you, or you'd like to stand and sing out with full abandon, let us worship our God whose love endures forever.